At 7.15, I eat breakfast in the restaurant next to the lobby. Toast, hot milk, ham and eggs. But this free hotel breakfast doesn't come close to filling me up. The food's all gone before you realize it, and I'm still hungry. I look around, and second helpings of toast don't seem likely to materialize. I let out a big sigh. Well, what are you going to do? The boy named Crow says. He's sitting across from me. You're not at home anymore, where you can stuff yourself with whatever you like, he says. I mean, you've run away from home, right? Get that into your head. You're used to getting up early and eating a huge breakfast. But those days are long gone, my friend. You'll have to scrape by on what they give you. You know what they say about how the size of your stomach can adjust to the amount of food you eat? Well, you're about to discover if that's really true. Your stomach's going to get smaller, though that'll make take some time. Think you can handle it? Yeah, I can handle it, I reply. Good, Crow tells me. You're supposed to be the toughest 15-year-old on the planet, remember? I give him a nod. Well then, how about you stop staring at your empty plate and get a move on? Following this advice, I stand up and go to the front desk to negotiate over the price of my room. I explain I'm a student at a private high school in Tokyo and I've come here to write my graduation paper, which isn't a total lie since the high school affiliated with my school has this kind of a setup. I add that I'm collecting material for the paper at the Komura Memorial Library. There's much more to research than I imagined, so I'll have to stay at least a week in Takamatsu. But since I'm on a budget, would the discounted room rate be possible not just for three days, but for the whole time I'm here? I offer to pay each day in advance and promise not to be of any trouble. I stand there in front of the girl in charge, trying to do my best imitation of a nice, well-brought-up young man who's in a tight spot. No dyed hair for me, no piercings. I have on a clean white Ralph Lauren polo shirt, chinos and a pair of brand new topsiders. My teeth are gleaming and I smell like soap and shampoo. I know how to speak politely. When I feel like it, I'm pretty good at impressing people older than me. The girl listens in silence, nodding, her lips slightly twisted up. She's petite and wearing a green uniform blazer over a white blouse. She looks a little sleepy but goes about her morning duties briskly. She's about the same age as my sister. I understand, she says, but I have to clear it with my manager. We should have an answer for you by noon. Her tone is businesslike, but I can tell that as far as she is concerned, I pass. She writes down my name and room number. I have no idea whether this negotiating will get me anywhere. It might blow up in my face if the manager demands to see my student ID, says or tries to get in touch with my parents. Of course, I gave a false home number when I registered. But seeing as how my funds are limited, I reckon it's worth the risk. I check the yellow pages and call a public gym and ask about their weigh machines. They have most of what I need and it only costs 500 yens a day. I get directions from the station, thank them and hang up. I go back to my room for my backpack, then hit the street. I could just leave my stuff in the room or in the hotel safe, but I feel better carrying it all with me. It's as if it's a part of me already and I can't let go. On the bus from the terminal in front of the station to the gym, 
I can feel my face tighten. I'm so nervous. Suppose somebody asks why a boy my age is traipsing off to the gym in the middle of the day. I don't know this town and have no idea what these people are thinking. But no one gives me a second glance. I'm starting to feel like the invisible man or something. I pay the entrance fee at the desk, no questions asked, and get a key to a locker. After changing into shorts and a t-shirt in the locker room, I do some stretching exercises. As my muscles relax, so do I. I'm safe inside this container that is me. With a little click, the outlines of this being, me, fit right inside and are locked neatly away, just the way I like it. I am where I belong. I start my circuit training. With Prince blasting away on my Walkman, I put in a good hour of training, making my usual round of the seven machines. I was sure a gym in such a small town would be full of outdated machines, but these are the latest models with the metallic smell of brand new steel. The first round I do with light weights, then increase the weight for the second circuit. I know exactly how much weight and how many reps work for me. Pretty soon I start to sweat and stop every once in a while to take a swig from the bottle and a bite out of a lemon I bought on the way to the station. Once I finish training, I take a hot shower using the soap and shampoo I have brought along. I do a good job of washing my cock. Not too many years out of its foreskin, under my arms, balls and bum. I weigh myself and flex my muscles a bit in front of a mirror. Finally, I rinse out my sweaty shorts and t-shirts in the sink, wring them out and store them in a plastic bag. I take a bus back to the station and have a steaming bowl of udon in the same cafe as the day before. I take my time gazing out the window as I eat. The station's packed with people streaming in and out, all of them dressed in their favorite clothes, bags or briefcases in hand, each one dashing off to take care of some pressing business. I stare at this ceaseless rushing crowd and imagine at time a hundred years from now. In a hundred years, everybody here, me included, will have disappeared from the face of the earth and turned into ashes or dust. A weird thought, but everything in front of me begins to seem unreal, as if a gust of wind could blow it all away. I spread my hands in front of me and take a good hard look at them. What am I always so tense about? Why this desperate struggle just to survive? I shake my head, turn off the window, turn from the window, clear my mind of thoughts of a hundred years away, I'll just think about now, about books waiting to be read in the library, machines in the gym I haven't worked out on, thinking about anything else isn't going to get me anywhere. That's the ticket, Crow tells me, remember you're supposed to be the toughest 15 year old on the planet. As on the day before, I buy a box lunch at the station and take the train. Arriving at Komura Library at 11.30. At, sure enough, Oshima is there at the counter. Today he is wearing a blue rayon shirt buttoned to the neck, white jeans and white tennis shoes. He is sitting at his desk, absorbed in some massive book with the same yellow pencil, I guess lying beside him. His fringe is all over his face. When I come in, in he looks up, smiles and takes my backpack from me. Still not going back to school, I see. 
I'm never going back, I confess. A library is a pretty good alternative then, he says. He turns round to check the time on the clock behind him, then goes back to his reading. I head off to the reading room and back to the Arabian Nights. As always, once I settle down and start flipping pages, I can't stop. The Burton edition has all the stories I remember reading as a child, but they are longer with more episodes and plot twists and so much more absorbing that it's hard to believe they are the same. They're full of obscene, violent, sexual, basically outrageous scenes. Like the genie in the bottle, they have this sort of vital living sense of play, of freedom that common sense can't keep bottled up. I love it and can't let go. Compared to those faceless hordes of people rushing through the train station, these crazy, preposterous stories of a thousand years ago are, at least to me, much more real. How that's possible, I don't know. It's pretty weird. At one o'clock, I go out to the garden again, sit on the porch and eat my lunch. I'm about halfway through when Oshima comes over and says that I have a phone call. A phone call? I say, taken aback, for me? So long as your name's Kafka Tamura. I blush, get to my feet and take the cordless phone from him. It's a girl at the front desk at the hotel, most likely checking to see if I'm really doing research at the library. She sounds relieved to find out I hadn't been lying to her. I talk to the manager, she says, and he says that they have never done this before, but seeing as you are young and there are special circumstances, he'll make an exception and let you stay at the rate the YMCA arranged for you. We are not so busy right now, he said, so we can blend the rules a bit. He also said that library is supposed to be really nice, so he hopes you will be able to take your time and do as much research as you need to. I breathe a sigh of relief and thank her. I feel bad about lying, but there's not much I can do about it. I've got to bend some rules if I want to survive. I hang up and hand the phone back to Oshima. You're the only high school student who comes here, so I thought it must be for you, he says. I told her you are here from morning till night. You are no stuck in a book, which is true. Thanks, I tell him. Kafka Tamura? That's my name. Kind of strange. Well, that's my name, I insist. I assume you have read some of Kafka's stories. I nod. The castle and the trial, metamorphosis, plus that weird story about an execution device. In the penal colony, Oshima says. I love that story. Only Kafka could have written it. That's my favorite of his short stories. Really? I nod. Why is that? It takes me a while to gather my thoughts. I think what Kafka does is give a purely mechanical explanation of what of that complex machine in the story as sort of a substitute for explaining the situation we are in. What I mean is, uh, I have to give it some more thought. What I mean is that that's his own device for explaining the kind of lives we lead not by talking about our situation, but by talking about the details of the machine. That makes sense, Oshima says, and lays a hand on my shoulder. This gesture natural and friendly. I imagine Franz Kafka would agree with you. He takes the cordless phone and disappears back into the building. I stay on the veranda for a while, finishing my lunch, drinking my mineral water, watching the birds in the garden. For all I know, they are the same birds from yesterday. The sky is covered with clouds, not a speck of blue in sight. 
Oshima most likely fought my explanation of the Kafka story uh, convincing to some extent at least but what I really wanted to say didn't get across. I wasn't just giving some general theory of Kafka's fiction. I was talking about something very real. Kafka's complex, mysterious execution device wasn't some metaphor or allegory. It's actually here, all around me. But I don't think anybody would get that. Not Oshima, not anybody. I go back to the reading room where I sink down in the sofa and into the world of the Arabian Nights. Slowly like a film fade out, the real world evaporates. I am alone inside the world of the story, my favorite feeling in the world. When at five I am about to leave Oshima still behind the counter, reading the same book, his, his shirt, still without a single wrinkle. As always, a couple of strands of hair have fallen over his face. The hands of the electric clock on the wall behind him tick soundlessly on. Everything around him is silent and clean. I doubt the guy ever sweats or hiccups. He looks up and hands me my backpack. He frowns a bit, like it's too heavy for him. Do you take the train here from town? I nod. If you're going to come every day, you should have this. He hands me a sheet of paper, the train timetable, it turns out. Between Takamatsu station and the station where I get off for the library. They usually run on time. Thanks, I say, slipping the sheet into my backpack. Kafka, I don't have any idea where you have come from or what your plans are. But you can't stay in a hotel forever, right? He says, choosing his words carefully. With the fingers of his left hand, he checks the tips of his pencils. Not that it's necessary, since they're all as sharp as can be. I don't say anything. I'm not trying to interfere, believe me. I just thought I might as well ask. A boy of your age, in a place where you've never been before, I can't imagine it's easy going. I nod again. Are you heading somewhere else after here or are you going to be here for a while? I haven't decided yet, but I think I'll be here for a while. No other place to go, I admit. Maybe I should tell Oshima everything. I'm pretty sure he won't put me down, give me a lecture or try to force some common sense on me. But right now, I'm trying to keep what I say to a minimum. Besides, I'm not exactly used to telling people how I feel. For the time being then, you think you can manage? Oshima asks. I give a short nod. Good luck then, he says. Apart from a few minor details, I spend the next seven days in the same way. Apart from Monday, of course, when the library is closed and I spend the day at a big public library. The alarm clock gets me up at 6.30 every morning and I gulp down the hotel's pseudo breakfast. If the chestnut head girls behind the front desk, I give her a little wave. She always nods and repays me with a smile. I think she likes me and I kind of like her too. Could she be my sister? The thought go does cross my mind. Every morning I do some easy stretching exercises in my room and when the time rolls around, I go to the gym and run through the usual circuit training. Always the same amount of weight, the same number of reps. No more, no less. I take a shower and wash every inch of me. I weigh myself to make sure my weight's staying steady. Before noon, I take the train to the Komura library, exchange a few words with Oshima when I give him my backpack and when I pick it up, eat lunch out on the veranda and read. When I finish the Arabian Nights, 
I tackle the complete works of Natsume Soseki. There is still a couple of his novels I haven't read yet. At five, I leave the library. So most of the day, I am in the gym or the library. As long as I am in one of those two, nobody seems to worry about me. Chances are pretty slim a kid skidding, skipping school would hang out in either one. I eat dinner at the cafe in front of the station. I try to eat as many vegetables as I can and occasionally buy fruit from a stand and peel it using a knife I took from my father's desk. I buy cucumbers and celery, wash them in the sink at the hotel and eat them with mayonnaise. Sometimes I pick up a carton of milk from the local shop and have a bowl of cereal. In my room, I jot down in my diary what I did that day, listen to Radiohead on my Walkman, read a little and then it's light out at 11. Sometimes I masturbate before going to sleep. I think about the girl at the front desk, putting my thoughts of her potentially being my sister out of my mind for the time being. I hardly watch any TV or read any newspapers. But on the evening of the eighth day, as had to happen sooner or later, the simple centripetal life is blown to bits.